Today our scripture lesson that we'll read together comes from the very last story in the very last gospel. Think about that. The very last story in the very last gospel. I think Jesus has something to tell us at this very close of the story. Let's share in God's good word together. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. How's that? That is not what you're expecting coming out of the scripture. I bet you. Hashtag blessed. What does that mean? When we were talking about uh, getting blessed, uh, the, I love Bruno Mars. I love his music. It, it makes, me, makes me happy. I like to turn. I say, hey, Alexa, turn on Bruno Mars. Boom. Hashtag blessed. Blame it on Jesus. Um, now, that is not a good idea. Do not blame it on Jesus. I think there's a couple of commandments that are broken in that. Blame it on Jesus. I'm pretty sure. So while I don't agree with Bruno's theology, I do love his music. What does it mean to be blessed? If you have your sermon notes, you might take those out. We're going to look at that. We've been looking at what does it mean to be blessed over the last number of weeks. We're going to look at it for two more weeks. Uh, Next week, we're going to learn about how to serve in Jesus' name and to be blessed in that way and also to share our story to be blessed in that way. Don't blame it on Jesus. Jesus is in control of all things. Uh, we, whenever we, I, I always, always get nervous when people blame it on Jesus. They're like, well, I, Jesus wants you to. No, 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 you want him to, and you're trying to get some Jesus help on that. Right? So, so let's kind of take Jesus' name off of that and, and step back a minute and say, well, what is a blessing? In, in the Old Testament um, and in Jesus' day, people were used to being blessed or what's the opposite of being blessed? Being cursed. Now, see, you can speak life into someone or you can speak death into someone. You can be a person of blessing or you can be a person of cursing. You can be a person of light and life or you can be a person of death and darkness. And they knew that in ways that we don't take as seriously as today, but we uh, might want to rethink that. Because we, what comes out of our face, what comes out of our mouth, what comes off of our tongue speaks life or death, blessing or curse. And they took that very seriously in Jesus' day. And when Paul was trying to talk to the early church in Ephesus, he he would describe blessing this way for those of us who follow Jesus. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who brings life and light and health. Blessed is God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, brought us life and health and peace and joy and prosperity too. In Christ, with every spiritual blessing, right, every blessing from above in the heavenly places, you see, so this blessing, and this is where it gets confusing, is oftentimes there's this sort of holdover from the Old Testament that if God is with you, then everything is going well in your life. Well, and is that true? Well, oftentimes it is true, but not always true. Proverbial wisdom is true most of the time. Now, that's, where we get, that's where we get caught up. You see, this blessing now that, that Jesus has transformed is that we are blessed to be a what? A blessing. We are a pass-through account, friends. We are a conduit of grace, a means of grace, where God speaks in and through and to us, and then that gets pushed out to someone else. 
You don't hold that blessing for yourself. We're not to be blessed unless we are blessed to be a blessing. Does it make sense? So it's great to be blessed, but if you're going to be blessed, then you have to make sure that you're blessing someone else. That's the way it works. Blessed to be a blessing. Blessed be the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Jesus Christ with every spiritual blessing. Friends, you have everything that you need. Do you know that? Nudge your neighbor and say, you have everything that you need. Tell them. Tell them right now. You have everything that you need. You have everything that you need. Some of y'all aren't doing it. You, you, you have everything that you need. You believe that? Now, I want you to think about this. If you don't believe you have everything that you need, then what are you saying about God? Do you believe in a God that, that would put you on this earth and not grant you as his children what you need? That's not what we believe about God. You have everything that you need in this life right now. That may not be revealed to you, but you have it all. This church has everything that we need as a church. We are blessed to be a blessing. But when fear stops that up, when we get stingy and we hold on to things, we don't share, well, then we can't see the very blessings that are in front of us because we're stopped up that means of grace, that flow of blessed to be a blessing. Now, see, what is, what is Paul writing about when he says these heavenly places? Heavenly places are where what, what God wants done gets done. That's what a heavenly place is. When Jesus says, behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that's because Jesus is present. See, heaven, heaven is not so much a place that you go as a place where God reigns. And that's why people really struggle with heaven. And, and I, I wonder, uh, Dallas Willard, who I love, many of you know that I follow him closely, he says it like this, you know, heaven is where God reigns and hell is not an oops. Hell is not an oops. You don't accidentally fall into hell. You, you are in heaven if you want to be where God is and where what God wants done is done. If you want to be about washing feet, if you want to be about serving people, if you want to be about loving people, if you want to be about forgiveness, if you want to be about peace, if you want to be about where no one reigns over another one but all children are equal in his eyes, that's where heaven is. is. And if you don't want to be a part of that, that's your choice. But make no mistake, heaven is that place where what God wants done gets done. Amen? That's a good place. question for us is do you want to be a part of it? That's what blessing is all about. That's what blessing is all about, about helping heaven come to earth, about being a part of the process of, of being a part of what God is doing. So our prayers change. It's not so much of God bless me, but God, where are you? Let me join you there. Let me find you and be a part of what you're doing because that's where blessing happens. That's where heaven comes to earth. So this blessing that we're looking at uh, begins with prayer and it changes our prayer life, right? Not, not so much God get me out of this, but God get into this with me. Because with you, I've got everything I need. And then we listen. We're listening for God. Where is God? What is God up to? How do we join God with that? And then as the church has decided, wouldn't you know, uh, this week is eat. They gave it to me. I don't know why. I think they know I like to eat. My friend Bert Ballard says, eating is my business and business is good. I love that. We, we like to eat. I like to eat. There's something really beautiful about eating because here's the thing. More than food happens at the table. We say that with me? More than food happens at the table. You, you think about the things in your life. When you have a birthday, you have a birthday cake or party or pie. When you have a big anniversary celebration, uh, if you're Methodist, you go down in the basement and you have more cake, right? That's kind of, if you've all been to those 50th wedding anniversaries, you know what I'm talking about. You go to a wedding and you have wedding what? Cake? Or you have a groom's cake? We well, like cake, apparently. 
right? These big family moments, these big moments in our life, food is a central part of that. And it's always been that way. That it, it represents life. It represents uh, plenty. It represents joy, this eating. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about serving as a part of blessing uh, and then sharing our story uh, as well. So this is what it is to bless. I would submit to you, though, that when we come to eating, that we don't really understand eating in the same way uh, that Jesus and his friends did. Uh, one of the stories that was told to me uh, about 25 years ago, and, and I still remember it, I was, I was sitting in class at Southern Methodist University, and my Old Testament professor, Dr. Power, uh, began to tell us about an archaeological dig that he was a part of. I mean, so we, you know, our eyes were wide open. We're like, wow, you know, let's find out about this archaeological dig. And so he's telling us about these artifacts that they're finding and, and how it's coinciding with the things that we find in the Bible that the more we find in these digs, the more we see that the Bible is true. The more that they're carbon dated, they're dated back to the actual times of where we say these things are happening. And, and the Bible becomes more and more and more real, not less and less real. But as the scientists dig into it, it becomes more and more and more real. So Dr. Power is telling the story about how, when he was a younger man, when, when he was telling the story, he was older, but he was, he was going back in the day when he was on these digs in the Middle East, and that, you know, there was dirty, hard, sweaty work, and they were working through the digs, and they would just have to stop because they were so tired, and so he would stop, and he would open up his little lunch pail, and he would drink the water, and he would wipe his brow, and he would eat this little crusty sandwich that he had made. And if you've ever been in another country... Um, that's not all that developed, what you find, uh, and many of you know this, whether you've been to Guatemala or Ecuador or Nicaragua or someplace in the Middle East, there's just a line of kids that kind of watch you work all day, every day. You're like, shouldn't you be in school? And then you realize they don't really have a public school system like we do, or shouldn't your parents be watching you? They don't necessarily have parents or parents aren't watching. And, and you just kind of develop these relationships over time. These little kids just watch you. And so Dr. Power says that day after day, he would come to this break time and this one little boy would come and he would just sit there and watch him. Just sit there and watch him day after day, right at break time. He'd come and sit and watch him. And then after about a week of this, Dr. Power figured out that this little guy was hungry. He was hungry. And so he, he started to feel guilty about opening his, his little, you know, his little lunch box and he'd start to eat his sandwich and little, you know, the boy was doing the little puppy thing like, you know, or hey, I'm still here. And so after about two weeks of this, and, and everybody told him, they're like, look, don't, Americans, don't feed the kids. Don't feed them. Don't feed them. It, it's, not, it's not good. You don't know what will happen. But he, he just couldn't help himself. So the next day, the, the kid comes, and he's just looking at him. And he didn't have much, but he just, he just took his bread, and he, he just tore a sandwich in half, a little peanut butter jelly sandwich, and he just handed it to the little boy. Of course, the little boy scoots up and sits down next to him and just smile, just, you know, ear to ear. He is eating with the archaeological dig team. Oh, and so this, this happened. They developed this friendship. And, you know, the, the, the talking is difficult between English and, and this little boy's language, but they kind of get along. And so next thing you know, Dr. Power and this little boy, they're fast friends. Of course, they warned him all the time, don't, don't talk to kids, don't feed the kids. So on the last day, um, as they're about to go, they're celebrating the archaeological finds that they have. They're celebrating uh, the intellectual work, the academic work that they're doing. Um, and it kind of gets around the town that this is their last day. They're about to go back, catch their flight stateside, and, and do their documentation. And as Dr. Power finishes up and he, he closes up for the day and he's about to go, he looks up and there's that little boy, suitcase in hand. And Dr. Power asks those around, he says, what, what is he doing? 
They, and so they asked him, they said, what are you doing? He says, I'm going with him. I'm going. And Dr. Piper's like, no, 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 no. And the little boy goes, no, you don't understand. When you broke bread with me, you became my father. When you fed me, that means I belong to you now. You have to take me home. You see, Dr. Power didn't have any understanding in the culture of what that meant to hand somebody part of their meal. And, of course, he, he, just, he would tear up 30 years after the experience because, of course, he couldn't take the boy home. There's no way to do that. But that's what it meant in Jesus' day. If you were going to share the bread of life with someone, it meant you belonged to them. You belonged to them. See, in Jesus' time and culture, eating with someone made you family, friend. It made you family. It was a statement that you wanted to be associated with that person. To eat with someone is about more than food. Say it with me again. To eat with someone is about more than food. It's way more than that. And you know that. You know that instinctively. You know it's just not about the food. So as we were about to dig into this story, um, I believe that beginnings and endings are super important. Um, this week we had the incredible opportunity to be with good, close friends at the birth of their child uh, and with my family at the loss of my uncle. Uh, all in one week. Beginnings and endings, super important. You want to make sure that you're there, right? You want to be there at the beginning and you want to be there at the end. And if you can make it in the in-between times, that's great too, but you surely want to be there at the beginning and the end. And so imagine the importance of this story we're about to share in John, because this is the last story in the last gospel. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and what's the last one? John. And then you get to the Easter story in chapter 20, and then you get to the post-resurrection story in 21. These are the, this is the very last words of the gospels. So let's pay attention. What did Jesus do? Jesus is raised from the dead. All the disciples have gone and abandoned him. They're, they're locked away for fear of the Jews. And what does God himself, the, the creator of the heavens and the earth, what does he do when he comes back? Well, let's find out. Let's take a look. Jesus said to them, children, he's calling out to them from the beach, have you no fish? Have you? And they answered him, no. And so he says to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they do. They cast it out. And now they were not able to haul it in because they were so many fish. Now, scholars will tell you this is an important piece of the story because there are some Christians that mistakenly think that once Jesus died, that was the end of the miracles, that the miracles ended with Jesus. Well, is this before or after Jesus died? After. So what we're supposed to learn from this is miracles still happen, friends. Post-resurrection, Jesus is still working it. He's still helping those he loves. And, and so what we find is that Jesus helped them. They didn't have fish. He calls out to them. They do have fish. He blessed them. He, he poured life into them. He gifted them post-resurrection. And that means if Jesus can do that for the disciples, he can do that for you. If you need a miracle, if you need fish, if you need help, if you need sustenance, you have everything that you need because Jesus is with you. That's who Jesus is. He's in the blessing business. And what was their reaction? Did they say, yay, Jesus, thank you so much? No. They do what many of us do. They go, oh, I'm not sure about this. What do you think he might want? You see, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. That's John. John loves to say that about himself. It's his gospel. He gets to write it. He gets to be the hero of the story. The one who Jesus loved, myself. Right? It is the Lord, he says. But when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes. Now, that is the weirdest line in the Bible. Jesus, Peter is fishing naked. That seems dangerous to me. But, you know, he's fishing naked. That's what he's doing. So... 
When he figures out it's Jesus, he puts clothes on and jumps in the sea. Do you see how messed up that is? Most of us, when we go to the sea, we take off our clothes and get in the sea. Not Peter. He puts clothes on and then jumps in the sea. And the other disciples come in the boat, and they're dragging the net full of fish. For they were not far from the land, only about 100 yards off. Now, why is all this going? Why does Peter put clothes on and jump in the sea? Because he's ashamed. Well, why is he ashamed? Because every single one of the disciples, when it came time, when it was go time, when Jesus really needed them, they left him. They weren't there for him. Only John was at the cross. Everybody else, they left. And Peter had denied him how many times? Three times. Do you know Jesus? No. You know this man Jesus? No. How about Jesus? Surely you're one of these followers of Jesus. No, I tell you, I've never seen the man, he said. So imagine that this is the first time that Peter is really looking back at Jesus. And Jesus is like, hey, you don't have any fish, do you, Peter? (laughs) I'm still with you. He's just poking him a little bit, having fun with him. And Peter is just destroyed. He throws on as much clothes as he can to hide from Jesus, and then he jumps in the water as if he needed more ways to be separated from the power of the Lord, the beauty of the Lord, the forgiveness of the Lord, the joy of the Lord. He just could not receive it. He just wasn't able to comprehend it or receive it. He wanted to get as far away from Jesus as fast as he could. You see, Jesus met them where they were. He asked for their investment of fish that he had just given them, and then he invited them to a breakfast that he was still preparing. Notice that there wasn't this beautiful big banquet table uh, and servants and all that. It was just Jesus and a frying pan. That's it. And when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. You see, notice that when we're talking about eating with people and blessing people, we're not doing it all for them. No, it's a relationship. It's an investment. I gave you fish. You have fish. Bring some. Right? It's not like he gave them fish and then he gave them more. You see the difference? He's like, you've got fish. I know you do. I just gave them to you. Now bring it on in. So Simon and Peter went aboard, and he hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153. They actually took time to count them, apparently. And though there were so many, the net was not torn because Jesus was with them. And Jesus said to them, come and have what? Breakfast. Now, I don't know about you, but if you were broken and far away from a family member, and they said, let's go sit down and have this out and talk it through, Or do you want some pancakes? Which are you more likely to say yes to? Pancakes. Right? That's what Jesus is doing. These people had ratted him out, were not there for him, and he's showing them love. He's not trying to win an argument. He's like, look, I'm making you breakfast. And so none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Because they know his character, right? And when you do the things that Jesus does, people know that he lives in you too. It's clear as day. So Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them and he did the same with the fish. That's just, just, what, he, just what he did. It's beautiful, isn't it? I love the way Alan Hirsch writes it. He says, sharing meals together on a regular basis is one of the most sacred practices we can engage in as believers. Very Christ-like. If every Christian, think of this, if every Christian household regularly invited a stranger or a poor person into their home for a meal once a week, we would literally change the world by eating. I love what Pope Francis said during the Syrian refugee crisis. He said, if every Catholic were to take in a refugee in Europe, there would be no crisis. Right? Just just one. You see, this is a part of what it is to be followers of Jesus. So what is Jesus doing in all this? Jesus is doing his best to reconnect. 
He's trying to reconnect with Peter. He's trying to reconnect with the disciples. He's trying to reconnect with you. And you know the way Jesus reconnects with people more than any other thing? By having what? A meal. Zacchaeus, you come down from going to your house today. Matthew, you tax collector, let's sit down and talk about this over a big old bowl of soup or whatever, right? He's reconnecting with the meal. And, and I want you to imagine somebody in your life right now that maybe you're separated from or you're having a hard time with. Don't argue it out on, online. Don't put it on Facebook. You know, private message him. Say, hey, you want to go get a hamburger? You, you want to come over to the house? We've got some hot dogs on the back. You want to come to a block party? But, but what's the problem with all this? The problem is it takes time, doesn't it? You would actually have to know what you're eating tonight. Or for lunch. Right? If you're like our family, so, so often we can get so harried, we look at each other at 9 o'clock at night and go, we're starving. What do you want to do? We don't care. Let's eat something. What do we have? Nothing. Let's go eat chips on the aisles of Walmart. Something. I mean, just, just something. Something to eat. Right? Part of it's about the, the harriedness of our life. He's trying to reconnect. But it takes time, doesn't it? In the, the book that we're following, the author writes this question. I think it's a really good one. He says, if you knew the only thing standing between a coworker of yours and eternal life was you eating with them, would you do it? Well, that's a good question. If, if there was somebody in your neighborhood that, that you knew was far from Jesus, and all it took was really for you to invite them to dinner, that that might change the whole trajectory of their life, somebody would take the time to invite them to dinner. There are people in this world who have never been invited to dinner, not once. You could be the first. Now, don't tell them, you're such a you know, hard person to live that I think I'm going to be the first person to ask you to dinner. Don't say it like that. You, know, you just ask them. You know, I was thinking, would you like to come over you know, to dinner? You see, it's about more than food. Say it with me one more time. It's about more than food. It's about more than food. It is. It is. Uh, and, and I, I learned this the hard way. When I um, was 16, uh, the bishop moved out to Fairview, Oklahoma. Uh, we moved out there. Chantel and I went back um, a few uh, months ago now. Um, and my high school, uh, and I look like this. I look good there, don't I? Hey, I'm at Fairview High School. Local boy done good. Jacket pride. We were the yellow jackets that were black and gold, uh, black and um, orange, which makes no sense to me. But that's, I think, well, we were the wasp, but that just didn't work. Um, and so we were the orange and black wasp, and they had to switch it to yellow jackets, but they didn't have enough money to change the colors. So anyway, that, that is what it is. And you can double-check that with the Kiners if you'd like. They can corroborate my story. Uh, Greg was a, a little boy in the church. And so this is the, the high school as it looks today. Um, and, and what I didn't know at the time was what to do for lunch. On the first day of school, any of y'all go to school for the first day? Uh, what do you dread more than anything? The lunchroom. Who are you going to sit with? Are you going to have any friends? Is food going to taste okay? And so I asked people, I said, well, what do you do for lunch? And they said, oh, you just catch the bus. I'm like, well, where do you catch the bus? And they say, well, right, right down here. Uh, you know, and you see all this, like, I'm thinking like the stretch limo bus. It's going to be really cool. Uh, because in Guthrie, they had a closed campus, and so everybody would go and eat together. They said, oh, yeah, there's a new building. Um, it's going to be great. You're going to love it. And so I, uh, when it comes lunchtime, I, I go out, and there's nobody around. There's like three other people, and, and this pulls up. The short bus. I'm like, well, not very many people are going to get on that bus. And so here I, I'm 16. I'm the same height that I am now, uh, about ha- half the width. And, um, and so I get on the bus. 
And I think, this is so weird. Only, there's like only six people um, that eat lunch, apparently, at, in Fairview. And, and so we, get, we pull up, and what I didn't realize is we were pulling up to the elementary school, to the little kid elementary school, because that's where the lunch room was uh, for the first and second graders. And so uh, I, I want, Cole's going to help me here. Um, I, want, I want you to see how it was. And so I, we pulled up. This is Cole Ackerman, everybody. Welcome, Mr. Cole. All right, we're right here. And I get off the bus, and all the kids looked about like Cole. Not quite as handsome, but about like that. And I'm like, what do we do? And they didn't talk to me. And so I just got in line. We got our trays. And, you know, I got our corn dog and our chocolate milk and some applesauce. And that was about it. And then I come around. And I'm looking for the big tables. There are no big tables. I'm looking for the other high schoolers. There are no other high schoolers. And I look over, and there's a little guy about Cole size. And I think, well, I'll sit with him. I'm pretty good with the youngsters. I'm 16. He's six. Be great. Like, hey, how are you? I'm new here. Can I sit with you? And that's what happened. Would not let, stranger danger, right? I'm not going to talk to you. I don't know you. None of that. I'm like, hey, buddy, can I sit with you? This is like the only spot open. Excuse me? What? No. Well, he's probably not going to beat me up. I'm sitting down anyway. All right? So I'm sitting at the second grade table in Fairview eating lunch. And then I try to make conversation. So, you know, how is it around here, and what do the other kids do for lunch, and how are you doing? You're going to leave me, aren't you? Uh-huh. And he just got up and walked away. And then, if it weren't bad enough to be eating with the second graders, you're eating alone at a second grade table. <laughs> and that's the way it was. That's the way it was. And I thought, you know, this is kind of bad. This is, this is bad, being the new kid in a small town. Closed deal. Everybody give it up for Cole, by the way. Great job. All right. So I didn't really think too much of it other than that was embarrassing, and that's a bad deal. Until, of course, the bus pulls up back to that same location, opens up, and you come down, down the stairs, off the bus. And there were all the kids that told you where to eat in the first place. <laughs> You're such a fool. You would go eat at the lunchroom with the kindergartners. See, a lot more happens at a meal than just food. Isn't that true? You know who's in, who's in, who's out? If you don't believe me, try breaking into the adult table at Thanksgiving without asking. That's not going to go well. There's a lot that goes on around a meal. So I went to my parents and I said, hey... Uh, I don't think the elementary school lunch deal is going to work for me. And they said, well, what do the other kids do? I'm like, I don't know. They won't tell me. And mom and dad, they said, well, you don't worry about it, son. We'll, we'll make you lunch until you figure it out. Mom started making a sandwich right then and there. Got my favorite Cheetos, still my favorite Cheetos, put them in a bag, gave it to dad. Dad went to church, and so the church was only about two and a half blocks from the school, and so I would walk down uh, to the church, and I'd have lunch 
every day with my dad. We'd go to the basement, and only preacher's kids appreciate this. Had my sandwich my mom made me. My dad took good care of me. We ate together, and we drank leftover grape juice from communion. It's always in the fridge. There's always grape juice, friends, in a church fridge. You just got to know it's always there, right? I don't drink a lot of grape juice anymore other than communion. But they took great care of me until we figured it out. And it was at that church that some of the senior girls started to tutor me, tutor me in trig because I'd missed about a half semester of what I should have known going into that class. Uh, and we became friends. And next thing I know, we were, you know, going to the Loves and getting a burrito um, or over to Pizza Hut and trying to get back in time or running to Sonic. And, and life became better. But it was in those meals with mom and dad and friends from the youth group. It was the church that took care of me as a new kid. And it is the church's responsibility to take care of every new person, to take care of the stranger, to take care of those who are unwelcomed in other places. That is the church's role. That is what the church is about. That's what Jesus did. And Jesus' people do that, whether it's here, whether it's at your work, whether it's at your school. I've thought about making T-shirts for all of us that says, yes, you can sit with me. For every one of us. Yes, you can sit with me. Yes, you can sit with me. And that's why you guys see me go ballistic when I feel like there's anything impeding the progress of somebody coming in as a guest to this church. We are going to be people of welcome. That's just who we are. That's who Jesus is. And so when, when Peter finally makes it to the shore, Jesus asks him a question in, in 21.15, if you're following along in your Bibles. It says, when they had finished breakfast, right, they finished up, Simon Peter, um, Jesus says, do you love me? That's a weird question. Do you love me? Do you, do you uh, agape me? Agape. Do you, do you love me? Like God loves the world. And, and you see, do you love me uh, means that words of love must be matched by a life of love. It's not something you can just say. You actually have to live it out. And, and so what does Jesus say about that? What does he say? Well, Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I love you like a brother. Uh, Jesus says to him, well, if you do, then do what? Feed my lambs. Feed my people. Feed them. Isn't, isn't that odd? You see, Jesus is feeding him, and he says, feed them. Jesus never asked us to do stuff he didn't do. Right? He models it. He lives it out. Blessed us to be a blessing. And then a second time, Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? And Peter says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says to him, what? Tend my sheep. Look after them. Not, not just feed them, but look after them. Look after their, their welfare. Now, isn't, isn't this interesting that, that Jesus is cooking breakfast, and as he cooks breakfast and they're finishing up the meal and they're kind of cleaning up the plates about to go on, Jesus says these two things. He asks them questions. Do you love me? And then he says, if you do love me, what are you supposed to do, friends? Feed my folks. Take care of my folks. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. And then... We know that in the Bible, when you see something three times, you're supposed to pay attention. When you come to the last book of the Gospels and the last story of the Gospels, you're supposed to pay attention. And I would remind you, Jesus was denied by Peter how many times? So he's given him his third chance to make it right. He's doing everything he can to be made right with Peter over this meal. So he comes back a third time. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt. Well, of course he did. It wasn't lost on him that he had denied him three times. He knew exactly what Jesus was driving at. And Peter wasn't sure that he could live into it. And so Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know what? Everything. You know everything. You know my good points. You remember when I walked on water? You remember when I went down? You know it all. 
And Jesus says to him, say it with me, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. This is the call to you and to me today. Feed my sheep. Because what? What does Jesus know? Everything. He knows everything. He knows who you're crossways with. He knows who's hurting around you. He knows who needs a meal. He knows that you need to give a meal. Some of us are so isolated. We go downtown. We work. We come back. We raise up our garage door. We close our garage door. And that's it. We don't know anybody. Working ourselves to death. Pretending it's a life. Friends, half of us are dying because we're not sharing a meal. We need the meal. So our action steps are these, friends, very quickly, very easily. Pray, right? Begin with prayer and then listen for who God wants you to feed. Now, I've said this before and and, and people are always sort of taken aback by this. Look, that meal can be a bologna and cheese sandwich. It can be. It, It doesn't have to be some big, huge banquet. You don't have to spend a lot of money. You just have to listen for who God wants you to feed and then feed him. And, and if you want to be really super creative, then, then do something cool. My favorite meal that my mom cooks me is when she, she would take the, you know, the little Oscar Mayer wieners and she'd cut them and make them octopuses. That's cool. I don't care how old you are. That's, that's cool. Put a little cheese hat on them. It's really good. Right? You know, you can have fun with it. Pray, who does God want you to feed? And then feed whoever it is appropriately to what makes sense for them. And then, friends, ruthlessly, say this with me, delete, delay, and delegate to make room for your life that really is life. You got to make room for this stuff. You're probably just not going to just pull this off, you know, just without any sort of planning or preparation. You have to at least think about it some. But you got to make room in your life if you're going to be with people. When I first, my first year in ministry, I had a, a lady in disciple Bible study, uh, and she said this, and I'll never forget it. She said, you know, Mark, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And I thought, wow, that is right. He doesn't have to make you bad. He just keeps you busy. So you never even see what the Lord has for you. And it's an important reminder, friends, because our world, our kids, need us to share a meal. Let's take a look. If you could have dinner with anyone, living or dead, who would you choose? Kylie Minogue. Oh. <laughs> Marilyn Monroe. Oh, God, I wouldn't have a clue. I know, straight up. Yeah. Paul Hogan. Kim Kardashian. No, no, no. I'd like to have dinner with Justin Bieber. <laughs> what? He's not coming to my house. No, um... <laughs> I'd have Bob Hawke. Dave Hughes. Barry Humphreys. Jimi Hendrix. People who have made a difference in the world, maybe Nelson Mandela at the dinner table. I don't know what he's going to say, I'm scared. If you could have dinner with anyone in the world, who would you choose? Probably our whole family, like a whole extended family. Mum and Dad. Mum and Dad. Does it have to be a celebrity? Could it be family? We love it. We talk about how school is. We ask mum and dad how their day was. Family. Yeah, mum and dad. Family! Who would you like to have dinner with? They just want to be with us Mm. while they're eating food, which is pretty cool. They see us above everything. I'm going to get... Yeah. Yeah. Bit, bit of a message in it for me. Yes. Yeah. 
table is about more than food, isn't it? About more than food. So when you cook breakfast for a loved one, friends, remember that the gift always points to a greater gift of love. It's never about the pancake. It's not about the bologna and cheese. It's not about the peanut butter and jelly. It's not about the banquet. It's about the love that gets poured into us through Jesus Christ, who gathers us to a meal every time we gather. Amen? Amen.